Welcome to this, the next edition of our daily devotions coming to you from Church of the Palms in Sarasota, Florida. We're glad you found us and we hope that you'll feel free to share these reflections with friends and family. Now let's take a moment to prepare our hearts and minds to listen to God's Spirit by listening to some beautiful music. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 19 through 33. Hear the word of God. Then Ahamaz, son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry tidings to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the power of his enemies. Joab said to him, You're not to carry tidings today. You may carry tidings another day, but today you shall not do so because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to a Cushite, Go tell the king where, what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. And then Ahamaz, son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, well, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you have no reward for the tidings? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. And then Ahamaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the sentinel went up to the roof of the gate by the wall, and when he looked up, he saw a man running alone, and the sentinel shouted and told the king, and the king said, if he's alone, there are tidings in his mouth. He kept coming and drew near, and then the sentinel saw another man running, and the sentinel called to the gatekeeper and said, see, another man running alone, and the king said, he also is bringing tidings. 
The sentinel said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Ahamaz, son of Zadok. And the king said, ah, he's a good man and comes with good tidings. Then Ahamaz cried out to the king, all is well. He prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground and said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahamaz answered, when Joab sent your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Then the Cushite came and the Cushite said, good tidings for my lord, the king, for the Lord has vindicated you this day, delivering you from the power of all who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up to do you harm be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The story I just read to you from 2 Samuel is one of the more heartbreaking stories in all of the Bible, in my humble opinion. It's a story that happens within the family of one of the, if not the greatest, of all the Israelite heroes, King David. King David is the most revered of all the Israelite kings and is known for a heart strong for God. But he's a complicated man, and his life falls victim to foolish mistakes and domestic turmoil. Perhaps the most painful moment in David's life comes when his son, his very own son Absalom, his own flesh and blood, turns against him. And not only does he turn against him in respect to a broken relationship, but he turns against him and in turn mounts a coup against his father, the king. David is hunted by his own son. It's a long and painful story which ends with David sending the full force of his army after the army of the rebellious Absalom. But with these orders, deal gently, he says, for my sake with the young man Absalom. After all is said and done, the king says, the young man is still my son. Take care of him. Well, as it turns out, the vengeful spirit of David's lieutenants get the better of them, and instead of dealing gently with the young son of the king when they had the chance, they brutally kill him. The king waits word in the palace about the outcomes, and a messenger arrives to tell him of how the armies of Absalom have vanquished, but the king seems little concerned about the larger battle and more concerned over the welfare of his son. Is it well, he asks, with the young man Absalom? And the messenger, thinking he's delivering good news, says, Oh, may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to do you harm be like that young man. And then the writer reports, The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. It's a tragic story. The lieutenants who knew the rules of engagement the lieutenants knew the strategies of war. The lieutenants knew what might be, in the end, what saves the country. But what the lieutenants didn't know was the heart of their Lord. And the heart of the king was for his boy, his son, his child. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, would, you, would I have died instead of you? 
In the end, it is the heart of the master that matters. It reminds me of another Old Testament story, the story of the prophet Jonah. Most of us are familiar with that story. God calls Jonah to preach to the wicked citizens of Nineveh in order to get them to repent. But Jonah runs away from the mission. God pursues Jonah, and Jonah ends up jumping into the sea from his getaway boat, and God sends a big fish to devour Jonah and holds on to him. Jonah is delivered and changes his mind, being spit out of a belly of a whale might do that, and he decides to join God's mission to save the Ninevites. So Jonah preaches some fire and brimstone to the Ninevites, and he does it so well that the Ninevites repent and call on the name of the Lord. The whole city, including the king, cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes, and they cry mightily to God for God to provide them mercy. The whole city on the edge of catastrophe and all of a sudden everyone sees the light and they turn from their ways and on top of it, God changes God's mind and decides to spare them. Some story, I mean, quite an ending. Everyone lives happily ever after. But then comes the surprise. The only one who's not happy is the preacher, the prophet. Really, he says, as wicked as these Ninevites are, sworn enemies of Israel, violent barbarians, and now a little sackcloth and ashes and a few mumbled prayers, and all of a sudden God changes his mind? I knew, Jonah said, I knew you were a gracious God and, a merc and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew you were ready to relent. I knew you might pull something like this. I knew what your heart was all about. You see, that's the surprise. It's not that Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh. It's not that Jonah minded having to bear bad news of these foreigners' imminent destruction. It's that Jonah had an inkling that God would be merciful nonetheless. He had this sneaky suspicion that God was actually on the side of the Ninevites, that God really wanted the Ninevites to come out all right, that in the end, these were God's children, and the father was never going to let his children go. The story had only one ending. You see, it's not that Jonah didn't know the heart of God. It's that he just didn't appreciate the heart of God. And maybe he didn't appreciate the heart of God because it just never connected for him that God's grace toward him, Jonah, was just as surprising, just as mysterious, that, that Jonah had no better story than the Ninevites did. He had no greater claim on the mercy of God than the Ninevites did. He, had no more, he no more deserved that big fish than the Ninevites deserved God changing his mind. You know, one of the great opportunities and also one of the great challenges of the spiritual life is the search for the heart of God. And one of the great struggles that accompanies our search for the heart of God is this idea we often get in our minds that actually we know God's heart better than God does or that we might have a better idea than God does or how to run the, about how to run the world. So when Jesus says, love your enemy, we beg to differ and suggest to him a few exceptions to that rule. When Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son and we hear how the renegade son gets the party and the faithful son doesn't get hardly a mention, we want to tell God that he's got this whole party thing wrong. When Jesus tells the parable of the workers and the wages about the workers who work one hour getting as much pay as the workers who work 12 hours, we cry unfair and advise God to rethink his labor practices. No surprise then when the prophet Isaiah says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Come to think of it, it's not a bad way to start really any of our prayers. This humble confession 
that what our deepest desire is, is to understand the heart of God and then obey it. And that we have a long ways to go before we get there. But every step is worth it. For there is no greater joy than to reside deep within the heart of God. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for your patience with us, for enduring our yearning to try to change your mind, try to change your heart, when actually it should be the other way around, that we would be eager for you to change our minds, to change our hearts, that we may conform more and more to your loving will and purpose and find there the great joy you intend for us all. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.